business success usually comes to those who are too busy to be looking for it. Join RVK for the award-winning RV on Business Show every Tuesday at 12 midday. It's not about thinking out of the box. There is no box. Only on 101.9 High FM. Jaime Tesla, who's the general partner of investments in our crowd. Jaime, welcome to Chai FM. Thank you, Avi. Thank you for uh, inviting me. Great. Lovely to have you here. The fact that we're sitting about 25 kilometers away from each other on a show in South Africa is a little bit surreal, but that's just the way things work. Good. Take us from the very beginning. Um, we know that, well, I know at least that, that the company was started by a guy called John Medved. And um, a while ago, not that long ago, actually, take us to the story. Who is he? How did the company start? What it's all about? Got it. So, uh, John, uh, started our crowd in 2012, um, you know, towards the end of the year. And I actually joined, uh, right at the end of the year. So he started, the company started in around August and I landed up joining in December. So, you know, pretty much from the get go, from the first, wow. uh, the first handful. Um, and I think the idea was that uh, venture capital funds typically function in a way where you'll have a couple of LPs, which will be, you know, big insurance companies, um, big mutual funds, et cetera. And they'll be investing into venture capital funds where the managers manage that capital. Uh, they make the investments um, over a couple of years. They manage them for a couple of years after that. And, you know, seven, eight, ten years later, Sometimes even a little longer, there's a result. Um, and there's no real way for private individuals to be accessing private companies, right? Unless you're making a direct investment to someone you know, there's no easy way to find good companies. There's no easy way to do the due diligence on those companies. Um, negotiating as an individual to invest into a, a deal is not easy if you can even get access. And then how do you manage that post-investment? And the idea was that, um, you know, John traveled around a lot and he, he had a fund before our crowd and people would ask him, you know, that's great. You're investing in Israeli companies, but how do I get involved and how do I get involved? And, you know, John would say, well, I don't know. You give me your, give me your, uh, give me your business card. Uh, so when we just started the company, there was lots of shoe boxes filled with lots of business cards. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's how we started, literally putting all of those into our database and saying, hey, we've started this company where we're going to combine the best of angel investing together with the best of venture capital. We'll find the companies. We'll do the due diligence. We'll um, negotiate the deals for you. We'll protect your interests. We'll monitor the company post-investment. We'll report you on how the company's doing. If there are follow-on investments, we'll uh, enable you to uh, join them. We'll get you venture capital um, terms of investment, right? So venture capital firms are getting, you know, typically much better terms than angel investors um, uh, without you having to write, you know, multi-million dollar checks up front. So very simply, in the South African terminology, what you've done is you've created a unit trust or a fund for individual investors to get involved in where you will go out, you're basically running a fund where individual investors can invest with you and you are investing in, in venture capital enterprises. No, no. so actually we've, we've democratized it further than that. Okay. Right? Our investors 
haven't given us anything. Our investors are people who would like to invest into uh, venture capital type of investments. Um, so they join our crowd. They go to ourcrowd.com. They sign up. We let them know when we're investing in companies. And if they'd like to join a specific investment, you know, they can pick their own investment. And the idea is that we enable our LPs, which, you know, we now have tens of thousands of, to build their own portfolios. So they're picking their own investments. They're deciding how much they put in. Um, and they get to build their own portfolios over time. Oh, okay. So very simply, by staying close to our crowd, you simply know you're on the cutting edge. You know what's going down. You know where the investment opportunities are. And you therefore have a channel to invest directly in them. So our crowds are taking the responsibility for that particular investment. They're simply putting it on the table so that you can see what's available and make your own choice. Uh, that's correct. We provide, we find the deal, we negotiate the deal. And once we've got that deal in place, we let our investors know what that deal looks like and provide them information that they can see about the company and information about why we as the general partner are investing. And then they get to make their own investment decisions. Great. As you can see, we need to run to the shops quickly. Let's take a quick ad break. We'll be back with you in a moment. This is RV on Business. Talking to Jaime Tesla from our crowd. But before we go back to him, just want to let everybody know that knowing your COVID status doesn't need to be costly or take forever. At Discom Pharmacies, you can reduce the cost and anxiety of waiting for results with the rapid COVID tests. Book an antigen test, which will give you an, out, an idea whether you carry a specific virus or not. Or an antibody test, which can, in most cases, can determine whether you have a virus or not in the recent past. Book an appointment at Discam. All you need to do is call 861 417 That's 0861-117-427. Discam, a willing mind in a healthy body. Right, Jaime, coming back to you. Thank you for staying on the line there. Let's look at the Israeli environment, the high-tech environment altogether. Israel's a strange place. Um, you still have the eclectic mix between the old and the new. You still have places where the donkey's on the side of the road and a camel somewhere. And yet, just a stone throws away, you've got the most incredible sophistication when it comes to technology and innovation happening. But yet, one could drive past it or one can live next to it and not even know that it's happening. In your experience, and you've been around now for a while, just talk us through the innovation, the the culture, how it develops, what goes on with high tech, because it's a buzzword that's used, but yet it's almost invisible to many people. Um, yeah, look, so Israel, I think, is uh, definitely an interesting place, as you put it. You were saying how you could drive past and not even notice it. I always think in Israel that there's really like two very uh, different economies. There's the technology economy and uh, there's everything else, right? That it's really, it's an entirely different world. Um, I can say for myself, you know, South African, spent a bunch of time in the U.S. Uh, when I moved to Israel, uh, you know, in the few months before uh, I actually joined our crowd, my Hebrew was doing lacquer. And then, you know, once we've joined, we switched back to, you know, speaking in English, we're meeting companies in English, our investors speak English. Um, my entire team pretty much speaks English and most of the company functions in English, right? So, you know, again, I think um, our crowd might be a little bit more uh, Anglo than some of the other companies in the country, but uh, there's definitely, you know, um, a very different world. And I think that 
growing up and seeing uh, over time how Israel has really uh, evolved. You know, I remember when I was growing up, um, getting around Israel, you know, without speaking the language was, you know, difficult. And today, Israelis uh, pretty much across the board, you can get around Israeli speak fluent English. Um, so it's really a different planet. And the fact is that Israelis have really learned, um, you know, I think the old mentalities that that people sort of associate with Israel, that Israelis uh, really feel that they can duplicate whatever their knowledge is of how something might work in the local ecosystem globally um, has changed. You know, they've evolved. I think Israelis have grown up. I think even in the last 10 years, um, we've seen more, you know, very big companies growing in Israel, right? It used to be that Israelis used to start a company that build a grazing technology and then they would sell the company relatively cheap compared to, you know, global standards um, for the technology, right? Those other companies were always buying the technology. And Israel sort of always had this glass ceiling above it about building, you know, huge companies. And I think in the last 10 years, what's really managed to happen is that there's this um, management level of professionalism in the ecosystem, right? So there's, pump, there's people who can actually manage a company that's doing tens and hundreds of millions of dollars and maybe even billions of dollars in sales, which previously didn't exist, right? So the, the ecosystem has matured to a place where it went from, you know, sell-up nation to scale-up nation. And, uh, you know, that's something that we're really seeing, uh, you know, in the last couple of years here as there's uh, more and more of these monstrously big companies growing up in Israel. So talk me about that. I'm, I'm just on your website going through it, having a look, and I'm seeing companies here that a lot of them I haven't heard of. But more interesting than that, I'm looking at the type of companies that there are to do with retail, to do with agriculture, to do with robotics, to do with cell phones. There's just everything to do with healthcare. Uh, it's just all there and it's all happening and it's all developing on an ongoing basis. And um, where does that spawn from? And um, was the, was the, was the latent, um, sort of drive always there and the opportunities presented itself? Or has something cataclysmic happened where Israel's been sort of put on the front and they've had to develop these things and now all of a sudden it's become a business model? So I think that, um, you know, Israel has, uh, it's a, I think it stems from the fact that Israel has, you know, it's a pretty small country. And uh, up until very recently, uh, was not very friendly with its neighbors. Yes. Right? And and in order for the small country to survive with these big neighbors all around them, they had to sort of use their smarts in order to figure out how do we protect, you know, the citizens of Israel. And so the army has used technology and been on the forefront of technology in order to uh, protect itself. Um, but essentially that means that you have, you know, People finishing high school, joining the army, and being shoved onto the forefront of technology. Um, and the units in the army that train these people are really creating, uh, you know, technologists of, you know, the best type. People who are not only learning technology, um, but they have to be at the cutting edge. They're also learning how to manage teams, right? This, this is all 18 to 22-year-olds to 23-year-olds that are doing this. This is the university that they're going to. Um and and then when they finish the army, depending on where they've been, right, it could have been that they were on the border and they had to uh, use computer vision to monitor a border, right, because there's, you know, more border space than eyes can watch. And so you just need to make sure if someone's trying to cross over the border, 
right? You create computer vision software that will monitor that situation for you. Um, and then when they leave the army, they say, okay, well, now we've created this computer vision um, uh, depth of understanding. What can we do with that in a commercial sense, right? And so there's companies who are taking that and uh, saying, okay, well, let's let's stick it on a drone, fly over a field, and we can monitor the growth of that field over time. Or let's stick it in a little box and we can see how um, we can do a complete blood count and use it for medical purposes. Um, and then, you know, there's many examples of that, and that spills over into automotive, into mobility, into cybersecurity, definitely. I mean, cybersecurity is a big part of what they're doing uh, in the Army, and then they come out and find, you know, commercial applications for these skill sets that they've learned. So there's uh, it's, it's a lot of education that they've taken, and then they figure out, how can we take that uh, education and find a business use case with a global market and uh, build a company around that? So you've obviously hit a hit a, no, a, a raw nerve there because a lot of people are asking on the SMS line about the army and technology and how it's come through. I'm not quite sure I want to spend too much time on that because I think you've covered it quite comprehensively. That the army is basically a, a, a university for those people who have got that acumen, that sort of drive. Um, what I'd like to maybe look at is one or two of the companies that you started off in Israel with many, many years ago. I think when you arrived at the company, you were still pretty young. The company was just in its fledging state. You must have seen one or two where you looked at and thought, yes, no, maybe the director's a bit of a cowboy, nice idea, not quite sure. And then where's that company today? Have you got some of those stories that you can share? Um, yes, I mean, we've got... Uh, a lot of companies, so I'll just give you a bit of the stats, uh, where we stand as a company and then, right. you know, back into that question. Uh, you know, since 2013, we've invested in about 200 companies, uh, somewhere in the ballpark of $1.7 billion. So we've invested in, uh, you know, quite a lot of companies. Venture capital, uh, by definition is, uh, you know, it's a high risk investment. So, um, the stats work something like this. For every 10 investments you make, uh, on average, um, about half of them will disappear, right? You'll lose your money entirely. Um, two to three, you'll hopefully make your, you know, uh, make back your money. Um, and then one or two are really the outliers that will make the whole industry worthwhile, pretty much, right? That's sort of the way this industry works. So, you know, we've seen um, over the last few years, I mean, since we started, I think at current count, we're at about 14,500 companies that we've looked at. So on average, we're looking at about 150 to 200 companies, um, our team, uh, every single month. And we've been doing that consistently now for eight, nine years. Um, so we've seen a lot of companies. Some of those companies we've invested in and we've had, you know, excellent outcomes. Some of them we're still seeing them grow, right? Building a company isn't something that happens overnight. These things can take, uh, you know, five, six, seven years um, until things mature, uh, sometimes longer, and sometimes you're surprised and things happen earlier. Um, and sometimes you invest in things and they go south. That's just the nature of the business. Okay, so you've painted the whole landscape there. One thing you mentioned earlier, and um, I just want to keep on the time because we tend to run out of time on the show, is that when, uh, up until a couple of years ago, Israel was really uh, surrounded by people who weren't too fond of her. Call it what you want, the Abrahamic Accords, Trump, 
whatever the political landscape was, those things have really changed. And I've seen uh, John Medved um, posting pictures with himself in the different parts of the Middle East. How has that affected your business? I see one of your associates now is somebody from the Middle East and the countries that otherwise you wouldn't have dealt with. How's that allowed you guys to spread your wings? So I think it's, it's very early days in the Abrahamic Accords. I think that's a, it's, it's an amazing thing and it's really going to open up the region. Um, but I think there's still, um, you know, decades, if, if not more, of trust that needs to be rebuilt um, in order for a, a, for real business to happen. Uh, we've taken a step forward. We've hired people on the ground there. We're building bridges and, uh, you know, open lines of communication. We're flying back and forth. We're meeting them. People are coming here. Um, there's actually a conference this week. We have John's there. Someone on my team is there. Natalie, um, you know, we're, we're, we're building the bridges and I think that, uh, it's all very meaningful and, but, but to see real meaningful business happening, uh, it takes time, especially when there's this trust element that has to be built, uh, built back up. Yeah. And, and it doesn't happen overnight. It's not like, you know, it was really waiting. Um, and all we wanted was a rubber stamp. It's, it's really starting from the very beginning to build it forward. But the bottom line is that necessity is the mother of invention. And ultimately, if Israel can offer technology to these, com- to these countries, they can really advance them in medicine and agriculture in any other way. It will really make life a lot easier going forward. Let's, let's put on our glasses, you know, sort of our, our look into the future, look uh, going forward. There's many, many companies coming out. From what you've just said and the stats that I've read before, many of them don't last. Many of them fall away. Some of them, like, you know, just aren't able to keep up with the pace of change and transformation that needs to happen. Where do you see venture capital specifically when it comes to IT in the next five to 10 years? Uh, look, I think that COVID in 2020 has shown us, you know, the same way we're doing this interview that's on the radio in South Africa and we're sitting here over Zoom, right? I think that the, the landscape of um, how we work and the, this whole concept of home and office uh, is really shifted and that enabling uh, force behind this was really technologies, you know, IT in place. You know, if, if COVID would have happened 10 years ago, it would have been uh, a very different kind of disaster, right? People would not have been able to work remotely. You wouldn't have had teams that could suddenly, you know, take their laptop, plug in the internet at home and continue working as if they were in the office. Um, you know, in previous uh Times in history when things like this happened, the, the economic fallout was so much greater because uh, there wasn't these tools that we have in place today. And I think that really, you know, that comes from, you know, Zoom has been a big one, uh, but it's, you know, being able to have uh, computer, cloud computing. I don't know how, how many people remember what the world looked like before, you know, Gmail and Hotmail, and you had to have an on-premises hard drive that was running your email server, and you couldn't access it remotely, and you know, email wasn't uh, what it is today. And I think people don't realize that's all IT and all of those are the enabling forces that really, uh, you know, saved our offices, to put it lightly, during COVID um, and showed how important it is for us as a, you know, global community to really make sure that we build out these infrastructure and enable all of these uh, tools to be worked on. And I think that, you know, like we've mentioned in Zoom and email, that also means that, 
uh, IT and cybersecurity, making sure that if your employee can access their work remotely, how do we protect the system to make sure that people who aren't employees and should not be accessing it um, can't be, you know, and we've looked at companies. We've, uh, there's actually a company we invested in uh, during COVID that was a company called JumpCloud, which is a, it's a service that we were using, right? We, we went remote. We were accessing our office. We access all of the different um, software tools that we use in our office and using this product called JumpCloud, right? Which is, it's a single sign-on. It's one, it's a, you know, one password and it, it sort of makes sure that um, we keep secure uh, as a team and as a company. Uh, and we invested in, cause we just, during COVID, I realized how much we were using this and how it enabled us to sort of scale without having to have this uh, heavy um, in-person infrastructure. And so we, um, you know, we, we landed up investing in the company, but it just shows how important it is for us to be investing in our future as a global workforce, um, you know, and how flat the world has become. It's interesting because the term cybersecurity, I had sort of heard and I knew what it was until I arrived in Israel. And then every second person you speak to is involved in cybersecurity. So you know, it really just shows you where many, many years ago accounting and other professions like that were the go-to professions, and uh, cybersecurity never been heard of. The concept wasn't even in its infancy. Today, it's an absolute necessity. How much did you find let you go? Let's just talk about our crowd very briefly. When you joined, it was a small company. If you look at it today, it's a sizable organization, not only where it invests, just the amount of people it employs, the, um, the work that it does, Tell me a little bit about the operations, a little bit about the company, the, the ethos, the, 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 the whole working mechanism behind it. The pleasure. So, yeah, when I joined, I mean, we're literally a handful of people. Um, we're currently somewhere around 180, uh, maybe somewhere between 180 and 200 people globally, um, most of which are still in Israel, right? That's our, that's our sort of headquarters. Um, but we have people, I mean, literally across the world. We've been growing rapidly. I mean, especially this last year in COVID, we've, we've seen incredible growth, um, in our, you know, in the ecosystem and in our investor base, uh, from all over the world. I think at the last count, we had, um, active investors, uh, investing into companies through our platform uh, from, I believe it was 158 countries, which I didn't even know that, you know, that I can't even name them all. Uh, without looking at that. And, uh, you know, it's really amazing to see how global, uh, this is becoming, you know, headquartered out of Jerusalem. And it's just amazing how it's grown from really a concept into something that's very, very powerful. And it's something that adds value to a lot of investors across the world. And to me, what's incredible, it's been a very, very short time. And one of the challenges of growing a company so quickly in such a short time frame is that your foundation tends to be too small. You grow and then you all of a sudden you get top heavy and it's all about getting the structure right so that it can continue to grow without falling apart. Craig, we're not going to take that aid break. We're just going to say goodbye to Chaimea because Zoom's telling me that we're running out of time. Chaimea, how do people get in touch with you? How do they get in touch with the company? And how do they make connections? Um, so... You just go to ourcrowd.com. I mean, it takes a second to sign up. You'll be able to see all the companies we're investing in and feel free to invest. You want to reach me. My email address is chaimeh at ourcrowd.com. 
And, you know, I'm happy to speak to you all and uh, even happier to see you uh, fiddling around on the platform and, uh, you know, joining our journey. Fantastic. Well, as they say, as they say more in this part of the world, but everything of the best. Well done. Thank you for adding value to so many investors and uh, we'll be in touch. Brilliant. Thank you so much for inviting me.